Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. Hey, everybody. What's up? And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. And today we are tackling a subject that is long overdue, I think. But what's most exciting is that we have a very special guest with us tonight. I am super excited and I'm going to geek out and fangirl a little bit um, because I went out on a limb to a known booktuber and I went, you know what? I'm just going to shot in the dark. (laughs) You want to be my internet friend? Do you want to come on to my podcast? And I am blown away that she said yes. I am super, super excited to to welcome Elizabeth Sagewood to our Ooh, show. We're hey starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite the introduction. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Not only are you keeping us hip by having, like, we're so obsessed with all the YouTube and like book talk area. So you're keeping us cool, but also, yes, we took a long shot. So we're absolutely floored and and excited to have you on. Thank you so much for coming to join us today. Thank you so much for having me. So Lizzie, before we jump into our topics today, which obviously we needed to keep it very on brand. So we wanted to do a book and movie tie-in. I want to talk to you first about your journey your whole I don't even know what we call it is journey the right word Uh, basically how you got started with YouTube and becoming I guess booktuber is the the proper term for it (laughs) love it or hate it I know Um, like can you just give us a little bit of a background on on how you started yeah so I've always been a serial YouTube watcher I loved what like I can binge YouTube videos for hours So back in 2020, when we went into the pandemic and, you know, everyone was working from home and I was kind of bored, I was like, I need a hobby. I need something to do. And I was sitting down watching BookTube one day and I was like, I can do this. I can absolutely do this. So when I first started, it actually was not a BookTube channel. I started out as... I guess you would call it a lifestyle YouTuber, but it was like spooky lifestyle. So I took inspiration from pages like Jade the Libra and Midge Munster, those types of channels, because Halloween is every day around here. Of course. And so I started with like Halloween decor hunting, um, kill star hauls, makeup, that sort of thing. And I did do book videos within that as well. So I had just kind of come out of a decade long reading slump really long story, story for another day, but I had come out of a decade long reading slump and I was getting back into reading horror books. And when I was doing my lifestyle videos, I really enjoyed it, but I enjoyed doing the book videos the most. And that was what I was getting the most engagement on as well. So I was enjoying it. My viewers were enjoying it. And I was like, you know what, I'm still going to do other types of videos dotted in and, you know, around everything, but I wanted to become more. I just wanted to talk about books. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to geek out about books, occasionally movies, but keep everything spooky. So I guess that's how it kind of evolved. And then with Instagram, like I started out because I wanted to get people over to my YouTube channel, but then bookstagram is a whole thing. It's a whole vibe. So, you know, it just blossomed into this whole thing and the community is so amazing. So that was kind of my journey, I guess. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. yeah, it's like a really positive uh, 
story, which is nice. Um, so why horror? Why spooky? So <laughs> my whole life, I've been the spooky girl. I've been the weirdo. I've been the nerd. And my upbringing was a whole vibe. So I grew up in a haunted Victorian. I played in the cemetery across the street was my playground. So if my parents couldn't find me, it's like, she's in, she's in the cemetery. And uh, I come from a little town. It's called St. John's in Newfoundland, Canada. It's very, very old. It's on way over on the East coast and very old town. There's more ghosts than there are humans in this place. And so that whole thing, like living in a haunted house, spooky was every day unknown occurrences were every day. And then I got into watching shows like um, In Search Of. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's with Leonard Nimoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved when they talked about like Sasquatch and the Grim Reaper and hauntings and all of that. And that sort of led into reading the Goosebumps and Christopher Pike and the whole thing. So like, I just grasped onto the darker side of life, like even as a very, very young child. So, you know, and let's talk about being a spooky woman for a second, because I don't know what you guys have experienced, but it's hard being a spooky girl. It's hard being a spooky chick. I think horror and things that are ooey gooey and things that are scary is more skewed male, more so than female. So growing up, I was looked at weird. I was called weird why can't you just be normal? That sort of thing. So I was very bullied. So that's why I kind of wanted to say, screw it all. I'm going to be me. I love horror. So this is how I'm going to present myself. And I'm so comfortable doing it. Like, I'm so happy that I broke out of that shell. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. It's not easy to be a woman in horror. I mean, that's the bottom line. And I think it is markedly easier for men to be engulfed in this, this genre without getting shit for it. And it's, I hear you, like being a mom, being, you know, an educator, it's, it's like, I constantly feel like I have this dirty secret and I I'm so tired of that, like stigma yeah. and like being ashamed of who I am. And yeah, same thing, growing up bullied, growing up the weird kid, you know, I think we all, so many people in this genre have that experience. I think that's why this community rocks as hard as it does, especially particularly women in horror. Cause I got to tell you some of the best people I know are the other females I know who are into the genre. So. Well, and you just system. kind of realize like when you make those connections through YouTube or Instagram or, you know, however you're connecting with other horror lovers, you realize you're not a weirdo right and you it's a good lie to your whole life <laughs> it right? is it's there a good feeling yep it's yeah, a good feeling so... to find your peoples yeah um yeah. and uh, yeah that's one of the things I'm most thankful about having Jackie for she's always reminded me it's okay <laughs> yeah no and 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 a testament to what you were saying Lizzie about you know part of the reason that you know when Marissa came up with the idea for this podcast it was one of those things where we're not hearing enough female voices. You know, yep. we are not getting that perspective. It is, it is a very much male driven world. We have a, a group of friends within our podcasting community and we love them dearly, but it's, it's a sausage party. Like we are the only women within that group yep. that, you know, can give a certain perspective. And luckily that, that group of, of men are all very, very supportive and yeah. awesome, awesome guys. And, it, but it's, yeah, it's definitely a situation where even at conventions that we've gone to, there are plenty women uh, fans uh, that we see at these conventions, plenty of women there enjoying horror, but as far as 
actual creators, definitely on the lower end. Yeah, yeah, would 100% agree with you there. Yeah, and I'd like to think that we are you, we are kind of blazing that path for others because I do feel like even in the, the 10 years since we've been at this, 10 years, it hasn't been 10 years, five years? Five years. Five years. Five years. <laughs> even in the five years since we've been at this, I feel like there's so many more behind us. Like there's so many younger female horror fans coming out and it makes me happy. And that's the whole thing, right? Like I want that young teenager who's being bullied and she doesn't want to be herself. Yeah. to look at you guys or look at me or look at any other female creator in the horror community and be like, this is normal. It's okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Agreed. hundred percent. And I also think that we are normalizing things like, let's be honest, geeks are ruling the world these days, right? Like it's so yeah. different from when we were kids and that's in all the best ways. Do I think it's sustainable forever? Maybe not, but let's enjoy this, this current yeah. peak. Yeah. In you know culture. what? If we could ride the high that's back right. when we were kids in the eighties and the nineties, when it wasn't cool, yeah. we can ride it after this wave. And when <laughs> it's not cool again, we're still going to wave our flags and yeah. we're still going to be perfectly fine. 100%. Even more so because we have found the community now, you know, we very true. Now, and now that there's the internet, I right, mean, Lizzie, I know put... you're, you're about the same age that we are. Um, I know yeah. you're turning 40 very soon oh, yeah. and yeah, we we're both 40. We're just like a year older than you. And, you know, at least now in this day and age, we have the internet so we can reach out and find our other spooky friends and spooky sisters. And, and if nothing else, when the bubble does pop and suddenly this isn't cool anymore, we still have each other and we say, we don't care about what anybody else thinks. Because I, I don't know, but I, for the horror community, for the most part, we're like lifers. Mm-hmm. We're lifelong horror fans. We grew up with the goosebumps and the R.L. Stein and the scary stories that we're going to talk about today and, and all of that. So we're, we're lifers in this. Just to get back to your content, um, is there any plans that you have for any upcoming projects? Are you going to be doing any the readathons or Summerween or anything like that that you want to talk about? I've been, and it's very annoying, but I've been very slumpy with my reading lately. Mm-hmm. So I find when I'm in like a really long reading slump, it's hard for me to kind of put together TBRs to be themed or anything like that. I'm very much mood reading right now. But there are a couple of uh, really cool things going on this summer. So there is Summer Ween. I know Kelsey at Slime and Slashers is having a slasher themed mm-hmm. readathon in June. But just this morning, Alex from the Bookubus announced that she is doing, let me see if I can get this right. It's a scary sleepover weekend read and watchathon. Ooh. So I thought that sounded great because it's just the weekend. It's just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, an opportunity to read a couple of short books, work some movies in there. And I was all about sleepovers as a kid. So it's very nostalgic. So um, check out the bookubus. I'm going to be doing a, a video as well for it. And uh, yeah, just an opportunity to read some short horror. So that's going to be taking place June 24th to 26th. All right. So what's a book you've read in the past? Like, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but like in the past couple months or year, even that is like the book that stands out the most for you. So I've talked extensively about this book, but um, I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, like massive. And Kendara Blake came out with a book that's called In Every Generation this past January, I believe. And it was, I pre-ordered it. It was sitting on my shelf. I only just picked it up last month because I'm very, I'm very skeptical to read stuff that's, you know, put out by people who are outside of the original Buffyverse because I have read books that to me were flops. 
But mm-hmm. this one, I think it's the book of the year. If there's any Buffy fans out there, pick up in every generation because it feels like Sunnydale. It feels like the 90s. Nice. Very, very good. Okay. I'm like adding it to my cart. Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of Buffy fans in our in our ghouls uh, network. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I have to say I'm, and I know I'm late to this party, but I'm so thankful for all of the, the book tube slash, you know, book talk slash instas, because I feel like it's so awesome to get real reviews from people who I actually trust the judgment of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't tell you, I just, and Jackie, thank goodness for Jackie. Cause I'm such an old curmudgeon that she turned me on to all this. Now I'm like obsessed with it. I feel like I spend, I lose hours of my life watching videos about potential books or like my, my wish list is 5,000 books long now. And everything I get is, is a hit. Like I, I've read like tender, uh, tenders of flesh is on my queue now, yeah. like cloud in a cornfield, uh, even like goofy, non-horror stuff, like the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I'm like, I love it. I'm like, bring yeah. all the books. And you're right. I do slumps too. So I'm like particularly glad to be in a, in a moment of like reading a lot. So thank you for always having such good like videos and inspiring me to buy more books. And um, yeah, and I, I just try to be honest about my reviews. Like if which I is like nice. something, I really do like it. If I don't like something, I'm going to tell you. And that's and important. To, yeah. yeah. And to speak to what you were talking about with the community, what I love is by watching one person's video or maybe following one person on Instagram, I get to go down a rabbit hole to, you know, follow the next person because somebody talked about a recommendation on this channel or somebody was kind of just shouting out their other favorite creators. I mean, that's, that's how I found you. I went from the library macabre with Cameron's channel to Kelsey's slime and slashers and from her found your channel. So it's just a really, and I think from your channel, um, what is it? The, the Amityville library or Amityville. Yeah. Yeah. Like I found that uh, Instagram account. So it's really wonderful. The really supportive, just everybody is just kind of shouting out everybody else. And really, really, that seems like that, that small corner of the internet is a nice place to be, which it is. in this day and age, it's, it's wonderful to find that kind of thing. So that's the other thing I really love about the whole, uh, the whole book tube talk, Instagram situation is just being able to find more and more like-minded people, especially because a lot of those creators are within the horror genre and if not you know if that's not their entire vibe they have a little bit of it and they like to put out that kind of content so for someone that is always searching for I mean it's one of those things where I've gone on Goodreads I've looked on the discover page like best ghost books like okay I've read Dracula I've read Frankenstein I've read House on Haunted Hill like give me something a current would be lovely and give me something different give me something that has maybe a protagonist that isn't a white man like give me something in the lgbtq uh genre like give me something a little bit different and now it's like i have all of these people just telling me all these different things at once and it's 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 yeah my goodreads wish list is is kind of obnoxious so and i'm I'm happy for it i'm the better for it so it makes me really stoked that's awesome so we like to also ask a few fun questions. So I think Jackie, I got to give you credit for this one. This is a delightful question because this is a, a twist on, we usually do which horror villain would you want to room with? But for you, we're going to do a special one. What horror villain, anyone, past, present, book, movie, doesn't matter. Whose book club would you join? You get to pick one villain. <laughs> so I had, I had to think about this one a little bit. So I think I'm going to go with Ghostface. So the reason why I picked him or her, they, um, is because they were so meticulous with taking notes after watch, like binge watching horror movies and stuff and working it into their killings. I was like, you know, 
they could probably do the same thing with horror books too. I could see them and like Ghostface is just sitting there annotating horror books and underlining and highlighting and all of that. So I got to go with Ghostface for that one because, you know, they, they really work the whole horror trope into their, their killings. That's a good call. Jackie, did you have an answer for this? I was curious. I did. I did Ooh, have okay. an answer. And I feel that's a good of, answer. That's a, I feel, I feel kind of cheesy because I've, I've given this answer before with this particular character for another question oh, and I okay. keep going back to it. But my thought was Chucky. And I think I mentioned Chucky. I think he was one of my like roommate uh, answers for Chucky, but I would go with Chucky because Chucky like me is he, he he's a, he's a person in the modern age, but he holds on to that nostalgia. And I know that like, if I'm going to be in Chucky's book club, we're going to read some current reads. We're going to have that, you know, and of course it's going to be within the horror genre, but he's also going to bring out some Christopher Pike. He's going to bring out, yeah, you know, like some, the some idiot's guy to Oh yeah. yeah. Like he yeah, is going to bring out weird. some nostalgic classics because he knows that, you know, the things in the eighties were more awesome. So yeah. I, I go with Chucky. I, I love that answer because <laughs> you know what? It's all about the nostalgia right now. Like talking about my 40th birthday coming up. Like I was so fortunate to have lived through the eighties and nineties and actually experience it because I talked to some younger booktubers and Instagrammers and stuff. And they're like, oh man, I would have loved to experience that time, you know? And we actually got to live it. So that's great. What about I you, Russ? You know, this was a hard one for me. And I had a lot of initial knee, knee jerk choices. Like I was like, dude, how funny would it be to be with like, with like, you know, the Texas Chainsaw family. Like I'd be in their book club. I feel like it could get weird. But I went ultimately with Jerry Dandridge and hear me out. A, from either Fright, from either Fright Night, I don't even mind. A, I feel like he's a thinking classy man. We're going to read some good, good solid movies. B, you always have to, when you're joining a book club, you got to think, is are the snacks and alcohol and vibe going to be good? <laughs> Dude, he's going to wine and dine me. He's going to have like a fucking charcuterie, okay? Yeah, he will. <laughs> like a classy one, like cheeses I've never heard of. And lastly, if it goes somewhere else, it goes somewhere else. But I'm just, <laughs> I like, I would just like to see what kind of classy conversations we could have. And like I said, if it happens to lead to a little bit of naked dump, then it does. It is what it yeah. is, you know? And so, yeah, that was my final, that was where I landed. <laughs> That's After awesome. Betty, yeah. And I like that. I love, I love the thinking like, behind that. I you. like the caveat of Fright Night from the 80s, 80s or we get Chris Sarandon right. or Fright Night or the modern. And I don't know, even like what's his, what's his face, Colin Farrell? Colin, um, I always want to call him Colin Firth, but I know, I know it's not right. Yeah, Colin, Colin Farrell, is, yeah. Is an That's a good treasure. answer. That's a good um, answer. Of England, not of here. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, is it t- shall we transition into the book slash movie we picked? Let's do it. So we are going to dive into scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, we'll, we can start with the books. First one came out in 1981, written by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamel. I mean, anybody that's our age, like we, we know these books. And even if you don't remember any of the stories, you remember the artwork. So I, I know that me personally, I know that a lot of people found these at school, uh, in their school library. I know, I believe it was either, uh, the scholastic book fair that happened, or if you remember that we used to get those little paper scholastic book clubs where you can like yep. purchase the different books. That's where I got all my, almost all of my books. So I know yep. it was either through that or through the book fair that I first, first got these books because I remember I, I'm the same way. I've always been a kid that's just, 
And I wasn't even allowed to watch a lot of horror. My parents were very strict in the, you know, PG-13 movies you will watch when you turn 13. So unless it was on cable in the middle of the day and highly edited, then I could watch it. So I was well aware of the Freddies, the Jasons, the things that would play on cable, but I've always been into it. And when these books are like, these are spooky books for kids. I ate all of those up. Yes, I, I did read these. And it always, what I liked about it was I always felt like I was doing something wrong. Like it always felt just a little scandalous because they are so much more intent. And I know they're all very based in folklore and very morally, like so many of them have like a certain, like t- I call it like the Tales from the Crypt moral code, you know, like the easy comic code. But I, it always felt like I was doing something wrong, even though I well knew they were children's books that I take. But like my mom was alive, like worked in a library. So she was very, like, you know, F the system. I'm going to get you every band book. Like she was awesome like that for me. So these were like, she always bought home the most controversial books. So I always felt like a little, just a little naughty reading it. I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, um, there's a little bit of an interesting story behind my experience with the very first book. So my mom was my grade four teacher and my mom always had access being a teacher to the most amazing literature and audiobooks and movies and everything that she could get out that only teachers could get. And so for Halloween, when I was in grade four, so I mean, you know, I was what, nine, we always had the afternoon during school was like our Halloween party. So at lunchtime, everybody would dress up and then we would have our Halloween party in the afternoon. And she put on the audiobook for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which if you've never heard the audiobook, it's actually um, narrated by Alvin Schwartz. He narrates it himself. And it's the most fantastic thing. So I was sitting in this Halloween party and I wasn't even paying attention. I was listening to this audiobook because like the Hearst song, the Hearst song is my song. I sing it even now on a regular basis. It's kind of crazy. And uh, so after the party, I remember I asked my mom, I'm like, hey, can we bring that home so I can tape it off? You know, how you tape onto another cassette. And I listened to that thing over and over and over. And I knew all of the stories by heart on that first, like from that first book. And uh, so that was my first experience. That's the one that sticks out in my head. And it was such a happy place for me. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is very much a happy place because, you know, talking about being a kid who was bullied growing up, you look for any kind of happiness, right? And it was one way that I could get that Halloween every day, right? Because you couldn't dress up like to go trick-or-treating every day so I would put on scary stories to tell in the dark the audiobook so that was my experience and I wore out that that tape it was totally worn out that's actually really awesome I loved the the song like the songs that came from that I remember my chorus in like fifth grade did it I thought it was it was so cool one of the the one with the worms one that's all I remember but um yeah that's a really that's really neat yeah we I think horror for horror fans as kids there was it was so much harder to get your hands on good content. So stuff like this that was accessible and we kind of got away with, we ate up, right? Because it's not like today where the kids have like just everything at their fingertips. We had to work yeah. so much harder. And I think that's why Scary Stories was so profoundly effective. Not only were the illustrations nightmare fuel for me for years, but they were, it was also like the, the content you could get your hands on. And then all the other volumes and all the other work that he put out were, were so easily accessible through things like Scholastic. Because even today that you like they're still banned in some libraries and stuff and now they got those new illustrations that are not nearly as creepy yeah yeah which I think is such a cop-out I'm like screw the new illustrations 
Luckily in 2017, the I I have one of the originals nice over there, but I have the the 2017 book that they put out um has Stephen Gamble's original artwork in it. Yeah, so okay. they did finally put out work that has his original art. Yeah, because if I were to buy one and it didn't have that art, yeah, I'd be one of the first ones to complain loudest that you can't have these stories without the art. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that they're as effective without the art because they're, you know, so again, a lot of the stories and it was funny to revisit these and read all three books back to back in this one collection because you realize how very similar a lot of the stories are. But at the time as a kid, I mean, each one is its own little entity, but I don't know that it, I don't know it is if it is what it is if you don't have both story and art together. I think that's, I think that's such a, a key factor in, in the success, in the notoriety uh, and the controversy that, that this book has become since, I mean, what, we had the first one in 1981, the second one in 84, and the third one in 91. So yeah. over the course of 10 years, these come out and there, there was some uproar about the books, but I mean, um, rereading some of these stories did anything hold up for either one of you that like still a little bit creepy? I mean, obviously children's books, but I mean, it does push, push the envelope a bit with some of the topics. Yeah. I think they, I, I was almost surprised at how well reading through this, I was like, Ooh, that's creepy. Like I almost like now reading it with like a mom lens in, in 2022. I'm like, and it's funny because my daughters do have this it's in their shelf. It's we have one with the original artwork because I made sure to buy that specific one for them. They're kind of afraid of it. Like they don't, they don't read it or like the, it's and even the movie they were like this nah we don't want to watch it it really freaked me out I th and I think it's the imagery I think it's the the they did a great job with the film and I'm getting ahead of myself but like I thought they translated the imagery well but I I think that it's still really effective and I also found it interesting that there's a couple of stories that I I found myself being like oh like that's that's intense for a kid's book like and again not that I would ever you know I'm I'm the antithesis of ever banning anything I think it's great that kids are reading stories like this I think everybody should read this book when they're little but it's it, it's effective it holds up for me yeah and for me too I think I could write a whole bloody thesis on this honestly about how these still hold up for kids because kids love the ooey gooey for one no matter if you're an 80s kid or you're a kid now. And it's awesome because if this is how you're going to get a kid to read, let them read it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I know we're going to talk about this book being banned a little bit later, but um, absolutely, let the kid read it if it's not going to scare the crap out of them, absolutely. Um, the illustrations, I think, are timeless. They're like the black and white, you know, pencil drawings. And that in itself, I think, just has a whole level of creepiness to it that is... I don't think it would ever go away, you know, as a 40 year old woman. Yeah, it still creeps me out. And then, you know, when you have stories like this that are based on folklore, folklore is through the ages. It doesn't die. Right. So it's a great way to have other cultures stand up in this time. It's a great way to have kids experience folklore from other areas you know there's a I know in my edition anyway there's a spot in the back where it describes like where each one of the stories comes from like what it was based on so that's really cool so yeah it definitely does hold up adults kids I think these books are timeless I I can say that the the notes slash sources slash 
bibliography section in the back of each of the books. I remember seeing that as a little kid. And I think that may be where my like love of history and research and anthropology comes from is because I'm able to look back and go, okay, so you like you wrote the story, but it's really based on something else. And to be able to see how well researched each one of these books are. I mean, I know that at one point Alan or Alvin Schwartz was a journalist and you can really see where that comes into play because of the amount of research and because of the amount of, of document he collected and poured over to compile these stories. Um, I, I really, I, I have to say that there is one story and it's in the third book, I think, and the name of it is escaping me, but it's the one about the girl that goes to Paris with her mom and the mom dies and they basically gaslight the girl that she had never been in that hotel. Maybe you will remember is the name of the story. And that one is the story that sticks out. I remember reading it as a kid. I rem- I, that is one and when I think back because I'm like that to me, aside from ghosts and monsters and, and all of that that is in these books, that very real gaslighting situation where, you know, basically the quick plot is the girl goes to Paris with her mom. Her mom isn't feeling good. The hotel doctor sends her across town to like go get some medicine. And when she finally comes back with the medicine, they're like, this isn't your hotel. Like you're you're in the wrong hotel. There's nobody here. And she finally goes up to the room where she was at. And the room is completely different. No different furniture, different, you know, wallpaper, the whole nine. And they basically are like, look, we've never seen you before. You know, you, you must be in the wrong hotel room. And in the back of the note section, there is a whole explanation that she was in the right hotel, but the doctor saw the mother knew she was going to die right away and basically sent the kid away. And the mother had some sort of plague and they were basically trying to cover up that situation. So they changed everything and they just pretended they didn't know her. And like, to me, I'm like that, that's, that's a real situation. Like that's the real shit. Like, that's probably why, like, there was like a small fear in me to like travel to France at one point. I was just like, they're going to trick me. Like that to me is the story that holds up most because that's the one I always, always remembered. That's interesting. It's funny that like the, the like real life thing was good. Right. See, I, I always found like, it's interesting that you referenced like the work cited and everything, because I, one of the things that I, I wrangle and wrestle with, with this whole thing is like the fact that he was smart enough to just take urban legends and even like native American folklore, uh, all kinds of folklore from all over the world and, and package it really wisely for kids. And, and I think it was brilliant, but I'm also like, so view of the like I, there, I'm not trying to take away from his, his the, the brilliance of his what he did with his artistry here but I do think a lot of these stories are just borrowed from tradition and he never like tried to hide that or act like it was his own ideas which is admirable but I'm I'm so in awe of how well he was able to do that how well he was able to take legends and just stories and even songs we all have known in in some way shape or form and kind of create a canon for them which was is a, is a testament to the genius of this I think well, and I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, how do you get kids to learn about different cultures and different, you know, things from around the world, especially back in that day when we didn't have internet and stuff like that? Um, I remember when I was really young, just a little bit off topic, but not really. Um, I was interested in mummies, like the whole concept of mummies. And then I learned about King Tut and then I learned about Egypt and then I le- it just led to this whole thing, right? So scary stories kind of does the same sort of thing. So your kids can learn something from this. It's not just a bunch of scary stories meant to scare them. 
they can actually learn and they learn how to research and and you know find the the core source of where this comes from yeah and and i'm i'm kind of interested to kind of dive a little bit more into the concept of like not even cultural appropriation but just like the the interesting because i think they did some things with the movie that made made a lot of interesting statements on the cultural choices being made in the in the book in 1981 versus you know the film that takes place in 1968 on a very specific night in american history so i'm 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 looking forward to kind of diving a little bit more into that as we transition to the movie because i do think there's something there's a there's got to be more to be said about the deeper themes of of the choice to take a lot of marginalized storytelling habits and bring them into the forefront and what is you know a, a white dude who who took a bunch of stories and made them made them into his own right so it's I think there's something interesting to be said here about this idea that and again maybe it's as a minority I kind of feel this way and maybe it's completely unfair but you know Alvin Schwartz very cleverly took a lot of what I consider to be marginalized voice folklore and work in storytelling and and bought it into the mainstream in a way that was very palatable for the the white mass majority and it's, it's it was brilliant right like I mean so I think there's something very interesting and, I, and I'm looking forward to kind of diving into that more as we we transition into the into the movie because it makes some interesting choices there that I think are very intentional that Guillermo del, to del Toro and what's his name uh um, am I gonna mispronounce this o Overdahl Overdahl Andre Overdahl there's the O had a weird thing going on so I don't know if I'm saying it right you guys you gotta help me out but both of them whom I love, I think did some very interesting things. With uh, I don't know if either one of you have seen the the documentary about scary stories. I did not. It's, it's, uh, it's I, I watched it probably at some point last year. It's currently on Tubi, the best streaming service that there is out there. Um, but uh, it, the the scary story statement, Jackie. <laughs> it is a bold drop a bomb like that care. and just gloss over it. Really, I love it. Uh, no, but the scary stories documentary goes goes in pretty deep about the controversy that surrounded these books. And uh, what's what's really cool is that there's this story about a librarian at an elementary school who was confronted by her principal and the principal was like uh yeah there's been a complaint you have to take this book off the shelf and she was like uh have you read the book and he's like no and she's like okay well I'm not going to take it off the shelf you read it let's come back to this and he comes back to her and he's like yeah you should take it off the shelf and she's like did you read it and he said no and there's a bit of a back and forth but I I loved hearing the the voiceovers from other you know young young adult authors and other librarians just really fighting against the censorship of this book um there was a movement i'm sure all over but the one that they highlighted in this documentary that there was a movement in washington state to have these books you know not necessarily banned but just taken out of elementary schools. And of course there is this huge back and forth. And one of the people interviewed, one of the talking heads brought up a very, very real point. And it was funny. Cause like in my head, I'm like, okay, like if I was there in, you know, 1992, like what would I be saying? And I sit there and I realized how I'm making up this like fake argument in my head but I'm getting so passionate about it. And the one woman being interviewed said like when it comes to any sort of, you know book possible book banning possible book removing things like that she said that you know it gets so passionate 
from both sides. You've got people defending the book so aggressively. You've got people opposed to it, you know, bringing up always God and the devil and things like that, which I kind of found a little bit funny that they talked about how the book is satanic, but you know, the devil isn't mentioned in the book. There's nothing satanic in the book, but again, this is also late eighties, early nineties. So the satanic panic is all the rage. And if, if we're going to latch on to anything bad, it's probably the devil's fault. Yeah, I um, just watched the documentary. It was on YouTube. I just watched it yesterday. I'm only about two thirds of the way through, but I like this librarian that you were talking about. She said, because I, I believe the principal said to her, like, you have thousands of other books. Why are you standing up for this one? And she said, because there is nothing else like this at all. And he said, you know, are you willing to stake your career on it? And she said, yes. You know, she was vehemently defending the book. But it is interesting because when you do look at the time period and it's the time period of the satanic panic and all of that sort of thing, it's really interesting to see like when things are going on in society, even when we're looking at what's going on in society today and politics and all of that sort of thing, how books and movies and and content get brought into that, right? And it's, and we're, I think we're in a moment where things are worse yeah, it, as bad, if not worse than ever in regards to censorship. And I mean, I see it in my own district, just the way that they are literally systemically tearing apart all of the work we've done to include marginalized voices and to, to diversify our curriculum is now literally in a moment where, I mean, look at what's happening in Florida, right? It's the yes. biggest night. It's our biggest nightmare come to life. So to well, me, and it's, it's funny because I only see it through watching news because if anybody out there doesn't know, I'm Canadian. Um, so I were a little bit more accepting of this sort of thing. Like, I don't believe these books were banned in Canada. I believe that was an American yeah. thing, mm-hmm. but it is. Yeah. we are absolutely seeing all of this over and over again. And I even said to my husband, when I'm shaking my head, watching the news out of Florida or, you know, banning books and all of this, I even say it's the satanic panic all over again. It is, if not worse, because it's not even yeah. just, we're not even blaming Satan anymore. Now we're just blaming the, the left wing. You know what I mean? We are Satan like to them. And, and it's, it's, it's a scary time. And I think we're on the precipice of, of uh, uh, something happening that we can't come back from. Yes. Um, yeah. And I'm going to be running to Canada, knocking on your door, helping try and hoping yeah. <laughs> you guys let me in. I've already tried like three different times. Canada doesn't want me, but I'm going to keep trying because, because I think I'm Canada minded. So yeah. Um, because I, I tell you what living and thank God we live in the Northeast, but even here it's getting to the point where it's being terrifying. I mean, for, for crying out loud, they are literally trying to shut down programs like no place for hate in schools I know. and like, and gay straight alliances and like all this other thing. And we are in a horrible, it's funny. I just ordered a t-shirt cause, um, our school tried to, um, tell the students they weren't allowed to celebrate pride. So the kids did a great job of like organizing and rallying. And so they gave them one day where they're allowed to like hand out their pride where, and so I've ordered a big ally t-shirt to wear because I'm like, I, this is something I'll stake my career on because uh, we have to stand up for marginalized voices. It's like, and this is, it's funny that talking about something like this book can really lead to such more meaningful conversations about what it means to have true freedom of speech and expression and how important it is to protect kids like us growing up because, you know, yeah. there's, 
there's got to be the defenders of good, right? And that's what that's what these anti-censorship movements are. It's insane to watch books being burned all over the country, like it's 19, you know, 42. Yeah, it's a scary time to be to be on the. I think for all of us, all over the globe. I mean, I'm sure you guys aren't immune to it. I know a little bit about what's going on with 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 politics and and pricing, and you guys are a little better off than us. Certainly not as close to the precipice of a depression as we are, but you're not. I know things aren't much better. There's all, things anyway. happening here too, for sure, I, I that are scary. Work. It's not as bad, but uh, we have our own, um, you know, we had that freedom convoy that happened mm -hmm. here that was such a polarizing subject and, and yeah. everything. So nobody's immune to it. It's yeah, 100%. So if it's a shift, can we shift gears? I was just going to say, yeah, we can shift into the 2019 movie. Yep. And this uh, directed, like I said, by Andre Averdahl and um, with some screenplay work by Guillermo del Toro, although sometimes I feel like we just try to throw his name on stuff um, to, to give it some street cred. But with this, it seemed like he was very in like he was committed to the project and had a lot to do with it. Thoughts? I, I don't want to I don't want to jump into my political rants until we <laughs> we get into uh, what we thought of the movie overall. Liz, well, you can start. I liked the movie. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I, I liked it. I thought certain aspects of it were done very, very well, especially when you're talking about, you know, how they bring in acceptance and race and, and all of that kind of thing. I liked how they worked that in, especially during the time period of the 60s. Like they didn't base it in the 80s or 90s. They based it in the 60s, which was really kind of a cool thing. So I liked that. When I first started watching it, I don't know why, but I had in my head that it would have been more of a traditional anthology where maybe they would have taken a selection of the stories and told them from beginning to end within like a, a larger movie, which is not really what they did. Like I was kind of picturing more like trick or treat. Mm -hmm. um, so I was a little bit disappointed that it didn't go that way, but I mean, there are so many stories as well and they only had, you know, 90, 100 minutes to, to tell them. So I understand why they did it. I did end up liking it in the end. I think some of them could have been done a little bit better. But overall, I did, I did enjoy it. I'm with uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Liked, um, but not loved. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I felt like I did like it visually. I think it did well representing the books. Um, it was dark. I loved that in certain areas there was, I forget where it was. Well, I was obviously in the, the haunted house. But there were certain scenes where if you noticed the spider webs in the background, they were all done and basically stretched and they looked very similar to Stephen Gamble's artwork. So I like that there were small touches like that where they did the best they could. And I think this is I think this was something said in the documentary. Um, they did the best they could with taking, you know, the, the 2D image that is printed in the book and giving us some sort of 3d image uh the the pale lady i thought yes. looked fantastic yeah. harold harold, harold looked fantastic good. yeah and especially the change uh the changeover when when the bully when when tommy the like bully the is turning into oh, when he starts throwing up hay you know i don't like mouth things when, when there's like throw yeah, up yeah, mouth things that wigs me out so i don't like that i thought of um, you when the hay was coming out of his mouth i was like oh jaggy jaggy like that um, i think the what i liked about it I, I, the first time i watched it i had forgotten that it was set in the 60s and i kind of gave like you know well why are you know the more I watched it, though, the more I thought about it, I'm very glad they did not set this movie in any sort of modern time because the book was written 
in the very early 80s. And I feel like it's one of those situations where if you had set the book in modern times, how many of those stories are resolved with one cell phone, you know, with one quick Google, you know, like, oh, the kids are trapped in the basement. Okay, well, I'm going to call my mom on my cell phone kind of thing. Like, I feel like the tone of the movie matched more of the tone of the book. And then when you're setting it in the 60s, like you said, we do have a marginalized character. There's a, a, a you know, you're setting it with the backdrop of Vietnam, the fear of the unknown is half the theme of the book. And when yes. you have people in the 60s that look at a Latino man and they're like, oh, well, I don't know you and your culture and I don't like you again. And, you know, then you're being shipped off to Vietnam. The fear of the unknown, you know, was, was very, very prominent. And that's, I thought that they did well thematically with the book and while I've I've had I've said my piece on the the Fear Street remakes and how tone deaf the Fear Street remakes was I feel tone like deaf is a little unfair but continue <laughs> I I don't think the Fear Street but I I say that in the sense of if you were to watch that movie and if you have read the books like it did they didn't vibe like it didn't feel like fear street at all this movie felt right. like yeah tell it that felt like me. are you uh, are you afraid of the dark excuse the me it felt like tweens. scary we stories to tell in the dark i don't know Aunt jackie you're you know how your tween nieces love that the fear street books i mean and, movie, and they better can be careful. love it they can um, love it i just feel like that they really missed they really missed the mark on fear street with making it be fear street. Nah, it wasn't fear street that's totally fair totally yeah fair. Um, so I'm going to jump in real quick about the Latino thing, because I think, you know, as, as our, as our, as the Jersey ghouls took, and I have every right to do so. Um, I, I feel as though having a Latino character, having the whole wet back on the car thing. Uh, listen, I, I, like I said, I, I love Andre, uh, Overdahl. I think this is his weakest. I love autopsy. Jane Doe is like one of my top movies of, of recent years. So between that and troll hunter, this to me, it doesn't even pay it like pales in comparison. I know he's got a thing with witches. I'm interested. I was interested to see where all that went, but I just think he did. It was such bad characterization that it made any thematic relevance or attempts at theme kind of lose their oomph for me. Like, you know, it's hard to be a Latino person in, in 2022 watching this film and see Wetback written on a car. It never doesn't sting. And to me, it didn't feel like the type of film that had the emotional thematic set up to carry such tough themes like I feel like you you threw the ball and it just 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 a bit outside because that's how I I the best way I could describe the metaphor because I think having it take place on the Halloween night in 1968 when Nixon who is one of the biggest villains in in American history take place and they did this during the Trump era was such an intentional cho choice right and it was a beautiful metaphor for the fucking real life monsters we're all struggling against in this moment right because if there are monsters in my life they are sitting in congress and sitting on twitter they are real people and they are fucking terrorizing all of us uh DeSantis and Marjorie uh Green I'm looking at you here but I at the end of the day the film didn't feel like it had enough meat on its bones to carry all these weighty themes that it was trying to accomplish. Like this whole, like the theme of no, the importance of knowing your history. Cause look, we're going to talk about Nam and look, we're going to talk about systemic racism against, you know, uh, Latino people. And look, we're also going to talk about like feminism and witching, but we're never really going to get there with any of these things that we're going to try to accomplish. So for me, being the person who wants so much to dive into the academic thematic relevance of this, this film, I loved what they did with the imagery. I thought the monsters were wonderful. I just, you didn't develop any of those characters enough for me to give a shit about them. And you didn't 
you put all these juicy little themes out there, like juxtaposing Halloween with a friggin' terrible election day, but you never really, I, I don't know that a kid watching it today is going to get all that. Like even this idea of how important it is to know our history, right? This idea of like, they had to learn the history of this horrible family and this horrible tragedy and set it right to end the curse. Such a, a, an interesting theme, but did anybody get that? Like, or did we, were we too busy? Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. That's, I, I'm going to stop it there, but that's where I got, where I got was it, it just threw the ball really hard. It was a great ball, but it was just a little bit outside. If I can make a baseball reference. There. Yeah. I think that's a good analogy. Um, when I was watching it, I was kind of like, maybe they didn't do it because they wanted kind of the focus to be mostly on the monsters. So they, you know, put little tidbits in there, but I would have liked to see more character development as well. I really would have, because I love the themes of, you know, like the race and immigration and all of that, but also people who are just different, which is very almost Tim Burton, right? People that are different people, you know, they locked Sarah away and stuff like that and even um what's her name Stella she she was, she was a great character outsider, too. Right. right so I think they could have done better with the um the character development a little bit but maybe they were putting the emphasis on the monsters, the monsters and the story yeah and, like we got to get to the stories like the reason it was a lot are, to, yeah it was a lot yeah the reason the people in. are coming to see yeah, is true. for the stories you're right I'm the only one who's like me thematic relevance and you know what <laughs> if, they, if they had to put out a book that was based like say on the movie where they could put in more development and stuff like that and take three, 400 pages to do it. Maybe that would be a better idea to do a series, too. dude, like a limited series. That's why yeah. this would have been better off that way. And again, then don't set it in 1968 on Halloween night. Don't try for those. Like I almost, Jackie, it was funny when you were like, I wouldn't have wanted this in modern times. I think it would have been really fascinating to like incorporate the, the modern like just modernity into it I think it was an easy out to go with like a Scooby gang from the 1960s you know what was you know? interesting that that the first thing that popped into my mind when they put 1968 up on the screen was that this was right before the summer of love and it was right before the Manson murders so right people before were still very free yep. they were still very you know because the, the Manson murders was such a big thing in American history that it, it kind of changed everyone mm -hmm. right and uh, so that was really relevant to me with 1968. I agree. Choosing to do it the year before all of these fucking crazy ass, like Altamont, uh, the Manson murders, the summer of love. What's I mean, 1969 is such a fucking pivot yeah. for America yeah. that I, it was an interesting choice, but again, like, I'm like, cool. But did we ever get there? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe your idea of a limited series would have been better. Oh, I wish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I thought all, dude, the, the girl, they, when they, when I realized they were doing the one with the girl with the oh, spiders, <laughs> like that to me is my biggest, like I, my skin crawls just thinking about, just talking about it. I was like, <laughs> so in that way, it was very effective. I thought to, 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 to the credit of the, they, they did have the gross out factor. They oh, had the yeah. gross out factor. They had the ooey gooey that the kids are going to love. Yep. Agreed. I was grossed out with the big toe. I was absolutely oh, yeah. grossed out. And he was yeah. like eating the stew. They made that story cooler. Though, <laughs> let me, because I have to rant a little bit. Okay, nice. just give me a second. Go for it. We so, love a good rant. <laughs> one of my favorite stories is Meetai Doty Walker. Mm -hmm. Love it. And to hear Alvin Schwartz tell the story in the audiobook scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. It was so scary. He does these voices and it gets more and more intense as he's telling the story. And so when they did it in the show, I was, I was a little bit let down by it. Yeah. I was, I, because that, that 
scenery of the head coming down the chimney and the dog like you hear this weird voice and then your dog gets up and starts talking back to it like that's terrifying so the fact that the dog didn't really respond like he was just kind of huffing and puffing right and he was there right yeah um and then when the head came down the chimney it wasn't the decapitated bearded head of a human it was like a humanoid sort of creature that turned into another whole mm-hmm. aspect for Ramon I'm with right? you yeah I'm with you so I I was I was let down by that one I also listened to the audiobook while I was at work this week now it wasn't the one narrated by Alvin Schwartz but the gentleman that narrated it still did a very good job and I I have to agree when the head came down in the audiobook it was a very sing-songy way that he said it. And yes, it kept building. Like the first time the head rolled out, it was me, Ty, Dodie, Walker. And then yeah. it kept going more louder and aggressive and faster. And then he yeah, had the dog responding. Like I was ready for that dog. And I, I will 100% back your rant up that they, I think they, they dropped the ball on that story. It was, it was scary. I'll air quote, you know, cause you've got this kind of, I mean, I think, what do they call him? Like the janky man or the, yeah. the janky man. Janky yeah. man. And it's like, I, you know, he had kind of almost that element of that character from the conjuring too. Or like, yeah, like that, wa- that walk. That yeah, like, like just that very kind of just stilted <laughs> in the fact that he was chasing him. Like the, the scare element was there, but yeah, I, I will back your rant up that it was, it, it could have been better. It could have been much, much better. Hmm. Agreed. That's fair. I can live with that. I thought that one was a, one of the, the weaker. And, and you're right. The Yahoo Dory thing that he says. <laughs> um, I was so I was so busy trying to find some sort of relevant meeting to, to, to the gibberish that I was. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think this film is OK. Right. And I think that at the end of the day, the tackling this canon, it would have been almost impossible to really hit that big of a home run in that short of a time. So I think what they did all in all was pretty effective. And I think that um, to the credit of the filmmakers, the, the, those, the monsters are scarier than they would think. I, I was surprised this was only a PG-13, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty and I gross. Think, you know, they were I think it came up in the documentary. I can't really remember what I was watching, but they were kind of wrestling with did they want it to be pg-13 or did they want it to be r and make it really super scary and i'm almost glad that they went with the pg-13 because i think it opened it up to a whole new generation of kids and they would have found it scared absolutely i would have been scared if i was watching this as you know a 10 or 11 year old absolutely so i think that's why they went that route so that they could open up this classic set of stories to a whole new generation Marissa, I don't know if you if you caught this, um, but when they were researching Sarah Bellows and they found out she got put into an asylum, they have the map and she got put into Penhurst Asylum. And Penhurst is getting so much attention in the in the when the, on Stranger Things they they send them to Penhurst. Really? I like, oh, I see. I haven't fin- yeah. I haven't tapped it. I'm waiting for Stranger Things. I'm waiting for everything to come out to binge Stranger Things. Stranger you things. are so silly. So I I finished the last episode that was available last night, and yeah. we watched it fairly late. And I actually had to stay up because I was so wound up. I was I was so. We were- <laughs> 
Same. I was like, I was oh my God. And then okay. this, and then this, and you got to watch it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Was, no, like I said, I'm, I'm waiting for volume two to come out in July. She, and then I don't I'm know gonna... how you avoid spoilers. That's what blows my mind. That's the like thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know how you don't, uh, cause I immediately watch it. Cause I'm so afraid somebody's going to give something away. Yeah. Well, well I'll, you know, if somebody, if something gets spoiled, meh. I don't yeah. know. It, it, oh, so but no, here. I was I was very excited um because I obviously the the movie is set in a, a fictional town in Pennsylvania. Fictional um, character. Fictional town. <laughs> but yeah, when I saw Penhurst's site, I got super excited because so right where we are, we're uh, across the river from Philadelphia, and about twenty minutes or so outside of Philadelphia is was Penhurst Asylum. Uh, it's a very real place that did get shut down, and now it's it's a halloween haunt where you could mm-hmm. walk through the haunted asylum um i've been there before with some friends like uh, it's it's one of the better uh halloween haunts in our area so i don't know i was just really excited to see penhurst anything else on the film i thought i'd rant way more about the political stuff but like i said once it didn't quite go anywhere else i was like meh, meh. Meh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I think I'm so, I'm just so in a bad mind state about the state of affairs politically that like, I almost didn't want to put the dots together in my head because I emotionally can't handle any more of the the horrificness of it all. Like, I just feel like over the past, yeah, the past couple of weeks in America has been like, just when we get to the point where I'm like, I can't be more ashamed and more horrified to be American. We Mm -hmm. fucking really just up the ante even more and like I just it's such a terrible time to be an educator it's a terrible time to be a liberal it's a terrible time to be a woman a terrible time to be anybody who's not a fucking certain demographic in America and, and so, happy happy pride by the way guys yeah, yeah thank pride. you Let's thank throw you that in there too yeah and happy pride right so now we have to fight to even have pride now so that's great that's it insane. was it was one nice moment I got from it though was a, I got to remind a student who was fighting for pride in our school that pride isn't about the parade it's about the riots and the and the struggle yeah. and how you know if you're not going to stand up and fight the good fight then what, why why even have pride right like so this is this was such a good test to meet like the how I sold this to my students who were devastated was I was like this is a good test for you stand up and fight because that's what pride is pride is about us standing up and fighting for our, our right to exist so it was it was a nice teachable moment as a teacher because you know you know us and uh, us educators in America we're just busy indoctrinating kids <laughs> Oh my God. I can't, I can't even with all you know, of that. That's how guys. we do. That's even. how I do. That's, that's what I do. I'm being sarcastic in case anybody wants to write in about that. Um, I don't indoctrinate anybody. I tell them, I don't care what they think, as long as they think it with good evidence behind it. I'm here to yeah. teach you how to think, not what to think. <laughs> but unfortunately, what, what I think, what scares a lot of people is the more students learn how to think, the less likely they are to buy into the rhetoric and the garbage being spewed around them. So that's what exactly. everybody's afraid of. <laughs> Lizzie, again, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with us. Tell us again where everybody can find you because I want to make sure that they all know how to follow you, how to how to get all your awesome content. So everything basically is under my name, Elizabeth Sagewood. So Instagram, uh, Goodreads, YouTube, all of the good places you can find me on there. Um, and reach out anytime if, if anybody has book recommendations or anything. I'm very active on all of my platforms. Awesome. Awesome. All of those links to all of our socials will be listed in our show notes. So guys, just click away, subscribe, like do do the thing that helps the algorithm. So more and more people can find can find your channel. Uh, yeah. So, so, so thankful that you took the time to come and hang out and chat with us today. Yes. Um, 
Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say something. Oh, no, I just, I was also going to say that I'm saving your um, best and worst of uh, 2021 for summer. I cannot wait to dive into all the best. I love, I love reading good book reviews. So keep doing, keep doing what you're doing. We love it. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. Of course. of course. And don't forget to check us out on social media. Just look for the Jersey Ghouls on your favorite podcasting app or social media. And you could also find our blog, our podcast, our contact information, and all sorts of fun stuff on our website, jerseyghouls.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Did <laughs> <laughs> you ever think as a hearse goes by that you may be the next to die and your eyes fall out and your teeth decay and that is the end of a perfect day. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 